Good morning. Please turn to your Bible to this morning's scripture reading, which is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Okay. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Okay. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In a former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Verse 3. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you and with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Verse 5. For every boot of the trembling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For us, a to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, and on the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you, God. May God help us to hear his word. Do I need to push a button? Really? Okay, I think I just turned myself off. Thank you all for being here this morning. And for those of you who are joining us on YouTube, we're grateful you are here wherever you are watching us from. We pray that you will sense God's presence with you as well. And Siulan, thank you again for reading God's Word for us today. We are now at the third Sunday of Advent, and you're going to sense as we work through His Word this morning that there is normal and there is not normal. You probably feel like this is not a normal year. I want to suggest to you also that your God is not normal. As we look at this together, I want you to just spend a moment with this photograph that has already become iconic as a representation of the year 2020. It's a photograph that was taken by Go Nakamura, who works with AFP, a press organization. You have probably seen this. I believe, actually, it was also in the Straits Times. I don't know if you are aware of the background. It was 
Thanksgiving Day in America when this photo was taken. This doctor observed this elderly man in the isolation ward weeping. Not weeping because he was dying. Weeping because he just wanted to be with his wife. This doctor, Dr. Joseph Veron, was asked by the photographer, how are you taking this? And this was his response. I, I'm not sure why I haven't completely broken down. I seldom see a nurse who is not crying even in the middle of the day. This has been 2020. I'm not sure how I am not completely broken down. Do you know on this day, Thanksgiving Day, this was Dr. Veron's 326 consecutive day of work. Without a Sunday, without a holiday, no Good Friday, no Easter, and no Thanksgiving Day. This is not normal. This is 2020. So the question for us this morning, as we look at God's Word, is this. How are we coping in this COVID-19 year? A very dear brother sent me the results of this you know, kind of survey where the Graduate Christian Fellowship asked many believers in Singapore. This is not an American survey. This is a Singapore survey done by the Graduate Christian Fellowship. They call it faith in a post-COVID-19. But actual fact, it is faith during COVID-19 because they asked them while COVID is still happening. There is no vaccine in Singapore yet, and they're asking Christians, how are you coping? Fascinating responses. Seven percent of the believers in Singapore who were surveyed said that this pandemic has had a negative effect on my view of God. I heard he was sovereign. I heard he was full of mercy. It doesn't feel like it. If he's almighty, why is he allowing this to happen? 15% said this pandemic has created doubts about the value of faith and Christian living. My mother-in-law had faith and she died in an ISO ward. My auntie believed and she's in the hospital. My friend believes and she has cancer. We live in a dark world that has a tendency to create, to generate, and cultivate doubts. Well, what, what, what's the point of be believing? What, what's the point of remaining chaste if I'm going to die before I can be married? If, if I don't experience the love of someone who loves me back, what, what is the point? And this is astounding to me. 19% of Christians polled in Singapore said, I will probably not go back to public Christian gatherings after COVID. YouTube is safe, and I'm tender. People are prickly, and I can't take it. It's created a defensive, depressed posture in us. When we look out, see darkness, we're prompted to wonder, what in the world is God 
up to. Some of you know that my father died of vascular dementia. He died with it. He probably died of something else. Most of the time when I would go see him, he wouldn't recognize me. But one time, in a, in a sudden moment of unusual clarity, he suddenly bursts out from his hospital bed, what is God up to? That's a valid question. Isaiah is going to help us answer this as we attempt to deal with this question, how are we coping? What, what kind of infrastructure have you built around you to support you, to strengthen you, to bring you words of life and perseverance, and, and how is it holding up? Have you just cobbled together something, and in your disappointment, you're thinking, well, I'm trying to be safe. You know, I'm not singing during service, and still my heart feels sad. Still, I, I long to, to gather together with others who believe like me and love God like me, are on, on the same journey as I am, but all I feel is darkness. This is a scripture for us this morning. Uh, this is the outline. Uh, you're not going to find it in your ministry guide. You may want to take a, a screenshot or a photo of it. There's only two stanzas in this song. I've summarized them in this way. God transforms our gloom to glory through the righteous reign of the coming King. That's what Adventus means. Advent, coming. God transforms our gloom to glory through the righteous reign of this coming King. Let's bow our heads together. Father God, we need a moment of holy pause because this world feels chaotic. The news is distressing. We need to be reminded that you are indeed still at work. You are sovereign. Yes, you are God Almighty. God, our faith is fragile and fractured. Strengthen us, we pray in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me just give us a brief reminder of our context as Caleb so helpfully set the scene for this message last week. He reminded us of 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, which talks about this great king, Tiglath-Pileser, who conquered northern Israel, captured her, took many of her best men and women off into slavery. He reminded us of the southern kingdom ruled by an unfaithful Jewish king, Ahaz, who, who led God's people into the slavery and addiction of pagan idols. In fact, it's interesting that secular history confirms the biblical record. In the annals of Tiglath-Pileser III, inscribed in cuneiform in 733 B.C., he writes, the cities of Galaza, abel beth which are on the border of bit which is the border of contemporary Libya, excuse me, the wide land of Naphtali in its entirety. Now listen to this. I brought within the borders of Assyria. Notice he doesn't say, I extended the borders of Assyria all the way through Naphtali to the, to the seaside of the Mediterranean Sea, which is what he's talking about. In actual fact, he did that, but what he's really proud of is he brought the best of Naphtali back to Assyria. 
back to Babylon as slaves to the king, the king's palace, and all his royal servants. I did this. It's a matter of historical record. This gave Babylon control of all of northwest Israel. It gave Babylon control of the headwaters of the Jordan River that just really irrigated all of Palestine, all of Galilee, all of Jerusalem. They had the capacity to starve out a nation, dry them up with thirst. There was terror in all of the divided kingdom. The whole nation was grieving and weeping, crying out, God have mercy. And in the middle of that national lament, this madman prophet starts singing a happy song. Nothing more irritating than a happy song in the middle of the night. Put it this way, nothing more, in, more irritating to me hearing my neighbors cheer at three in the morning because Liverpool has won. It's just ruins my night. This is a song with only two verses. The first verse I've summarized in this way, God transforms gloom into glory. In the middle of deepest despair, this is verse 1, but there will be no gloom for who, her who was in anguish, anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Do you see why there was so much sorrow? It's not because of Tiglath-Pilir. That, that's not who he's talking about when he says he. The sorrow is it was God. God is sovereign. He's almighty. It was he who has done this to us. He has allowed this to happen. This is why the nation grieves. This is the true source of sorrow. It's not my neighbors who beat me down. It's not the culture that's beat me down. It's God whose rod of discipline is on me. That causes grief beyond measure. You don't really want to hear my testimony. You don't really want to know how miserable I have been in my life as I tried to run from this God who is sovereign and not normal. Sorrow was in the land. As they looked out and saw all these major villages, as they saw Caesarea, Capernaum, Cana, Tiberias, and yes, Nazareth, but everyone knows nothing good comes out of Nazareth, so that one was fine, but all the rest were major cities, major villages. People were in despair to see every street with Babylonian armies saturating them, but houses empty of their fine young men. But verse 2, the song gets even weirder. In that latter time, he has made the glorious way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of nations. So first, the obvious thing is those places who have suffered greatest, for them the light, the dawn of the day will shine first. But, but second, do, do you notice he's talking about a reality that has not yet happened as if it has happened. That, that's, that's not awesome. 
when some prophet starts singing with such holy confidence, he's acting like something has already happened when it clearly has not. In fact, can I say, it's still 800 years away from happening. And yet so great is his faith, his joy bubbling out of him, that he can't help but act like it's already here. Now, now if, if you were at our town hall yesterday, you know we get that. We, we totally get that because there, there's nothing more awkward than a pastor who acts like we have provision when we don't. When we look, we see poverty. We don't see provision. When we look, we see, you know, insolvency. And, and one guy singing solo, God has provided. Let's trust him. It's just awkward. We get it. Because my divided kingdom is not ready for a prophetic aspiration that suggests my future is already sealed, everything's going to be awesome when it does not feel like it. Israel's divided kingdom was not ready for this prophetic song. So friends, if you're feeling called to full-time ministry, you're not going to be in a choir. You're likely going to be singing solo a lot. Because the God we serve is not normal. His ways are not our ways. And we honestly try to, but we just have trouble getting it. Because no choir joined him, Isaiah just kept singing by himself. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Now, now I, I don't know if you get, get the gospel pattern here. He, he's not saying the people who walked in darkness chased after the light. That's not how it happened. It's not how it does happen. The people were wandering around in darkness. Our salvation is absolutely passive. I was not searching for God. I was running from Him. The people of Israel were not saying, there's the light, let's walk toward it. They were wandering around in the darkness. Sorry for those of you who are over here, I see you, but if I walk over here, I go behind the screen. So we've got to stay here. I'm trying to stay in one spot without medication. It's not like we were suddenly, oh, this God loves us. He loves me more than I love myself, and, and I want to somehow be friends with this great and glorious God. And no, none of us were righteous. No, not one. And that's why Romans 5, the Apostle Paul wrote, while we were enemies, the word is active, while we were actively working against the sovereignty of this God in our lives, we were reconciled by Him. It wasn't our action. We were not proactively seeking light. We weren't looking for peace. He brought it upon us. 
we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. And so he sings more intensely, gloriously joyful, this not normal perception. You have multiplied the nation. No, he hasn't. He's allowed our people to be dragged off to Babylon. They're pruning flowers in the great gardens of Nebuchadnezzar. He hasn't multiplied our nation. You have increased their joy. No, he hasn't. The darkness is black. As they are filled with joy, the joy of the harvest, they are glad when they divide the spoil. The prophet is even mixing his metaphors to confuse us. I mean, the spoil, that's a military metaphor, and, you know, harvest, that's an agro metaphor. He's mixing them up. But, friends, do you know that is exactly what North American Thanksgiving is? Dr. Veron was missing Thanksgiving. It's when we gather the harvest. That's why American Thanksgiving is the third week in November. Canadian Thanksgiving, we have a shorter growing season. It's the second week in October. We've got to gather it in before the frost kills it all. We gather it all in, then we call our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones, come and share the plunder of my garden. We give thanks to God. We anticipate this every year. There is unique joy when you see the fruit of God's garden cultivated. And the prophet was anticipating this. This joy is coming. This joy is coming with the coming righteous king. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, You have broken as on the day of Midian. What is the day of Midian? Judges 6 and 7. When the Midianite soldiers, their camels numbered more than the Israelites had math to count with. They they were like locusts in the land. And Gideon sent out a call through all the neighborhoods in Israel. Come, all fighting, healthy young men. Let's come and defend this land that God has given us. And 32,000 men showed up. And then then God did a little filter and said, Hey, all of you who are afraid, go on home. Bless you. Uh, We don't want to fight with with men who are afraid. So so 20,000 men went home. And and God responds and said, There's still too many for me to defeat the Midianites. Because with this many, someone might say, Gideon is a great commander. The Israelites are fierce fighters. Take them down to a brook. They bend down, put the water to their lips, or if they lap like a dog. Now, wait a minute. Who, who honestly laps water like a dog? Nobody. But apparently on that day, 300 men had a long enough tongue to skip up, scoop up the water, and, and that was 300 against a number of soldiers you can't even count, and God won a mighty victory that way. As in Midian, you won't do it, people. Your soldiers won't be awesome. Your kings won't be great. I will do this. The yoke of the burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his, all the the equipment that our 
used by the soldier of that day, everything changes when in the hands of the shepherd king. That's why David in Psalm 23 verse 4 says, even though I walk through the shadow of death, your staff, your rod, they comfort me. They remind me this gentle tap, this gentle loving pull reminds me my good shepherd is there. And this is why Jesus spoke as he did, you know, come unto me, all of you who are weak and heavy burdened, take my what? My yoke upon you. This is, this is Matthew 11, verse 29, if you want it. For I am gentle and lowly, and under me, bearing that yoke, you will find rest for your souls. Verses 4 and 5, the, the last part of 5, he says, For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be burned. Fuel for the fire. God's gentle coming king will use his purifying fire to consume everything that caused sorrow. Everything that caused brokenness, God Himself will consume it. It is happening. It has happened in the sovereign economy of God, even while we wait. The second stanza I summarize in this way, the righteous reign of the coming King is going to look like this. For unto us a child is born. And you will recall that Caleb introduced this child to us last week. His name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, the God who moves into our neighborhood. This king who dwells among the children of dust. And in this verse, the cry of lament is, is changed, transformed into a song of triumph. Because with this God, the prospect, the dream of an ideal, loving shepherd king is realized. He is a king that would bring an end to all wars, beginning with the war that's being raged by the rebellious children who long to be the God who made us. That war, he will end and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, as you know, we've taken a break from our theme of radical dependence in our walk through the Gospel of Luke to have this Advent series from Isaiah. But you are going to see how intricately entwined, knitted together, is this book we call the Bible, written on three different continents by dozens of different men in three different languages but all one big story. Because as we talk about this, the government shall be upon his shoulders. You can hear the words of, of Jesus echoed in his commissioning of his ambassadors in Matthew chapter 28. All authority, all rule on heaven and on earth has been given 
to me. It is on my shoulders. Authority doesn't just mean power. It means you have the power to act. You have the authority to act out on your power. Go, therefore, make disciples of the nations. Teach them to sing this song in the dark places of this planet. And Jesus came and said, all authority. And, and notice the Trinitarian language. Now, I'm, I'm going to try and put this all up on one slide because I know I changed my slides too fast. In verse 6c, wonderful counselor. Trinitarian language. Who is a wonderful counselor? In John 14, Jesus said to, to them, all, sorry, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another, in the ESV it says, helper. The Greek word is parakleton. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this, another counselor. And he, he's not like the counselor who told you it's all your father's fault. He's not like the counselor who said, well, you've got mommy issues. You need to trace back your, your history and find someone to, to arrow and blame. He's the counselor who's like a dear friend who holds a mirror for you that speaks truth and love, who helps me realize, oh, Lord, I'm the biggest problem I have. Come make peace with me. Break down the walls in this rebellious heart. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. Now, not a rabbi, not a mister or a master, but a majestic, glorious God. And we're tempted, I put it right there for us, to believe, oh, mighty God, that's El Shaddai. Because in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, that's when God comes to Abram, who is now 99 years old, and has to remind him, I don't need your help to fulfill my promises. I am not just God, El, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who is not an elf on a shelf. I, I get off that altar and I do something for the sake of my glory. But that's not the word that Isaiah uses here. Not El Shaddai, but El Gabor which means God champion, God victorious, the triumphant God, the God who can do more than we can ask or think and certainly more than we can see with these human eyes and this fragile heart. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. Philip came to Jesus in John 14. He said, Jesus, we need you to show, show us the Father. And Jesus responds and says, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whenever you see me, you have seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, when you're looking right at him? And he is the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Son of God. He is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 4, verse, uh, or excuse me, 2, verse 14 says this, For He Himself, Jesus Himself, is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. At the end of our service, I'm going to ask those of you who are here to remain, and we're going to remember that moment 
Jesus broke down in the flesh, his own flesh, the dividing wall of hostility that exists between me and God and between Canada and Singapore. That, that's the beauty of the gospel. Not that we're all the same. The beauty of the gospel is we're all different, and the only thing we have in common is that he has broken down the wall of hostility in his flesh and made many become one. And now we come to the final stanza in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time, 800 years before Christ was born, and in this day, however many moments, seconds, weeks, years, until he comes again, he will uphold it with justice and with righteousness forevermore. This is where we're reminded of the Lucan, Luke's metaphors of this kingdom, the kingdom of this Advent King. In every dark night, in every miserable day, the kingdom of the coming Lord is there and growing. Like the mustard seed in Luke's parable, it is an underground movement. You can't see it, but God is doing His work and it is growing. Like Luke's metaphor of the leaven, he who dwells in the dust spreads his glory until it encompasses not only this entire earth, but all of eternity. His kingdom, even now, when we can't gather like we used to, when we can't meet in our CGs because even our CGs are more than five, God is at work. This past Friday, I met with a new CG, and aside from me and Marcus and Audrey, I can't think if anyone else was even a member. In fact, I was meeting some people for the first time on Zoom. We didn't have a strategy for people to find us on YouTube. We didn't say, you know, why, why don't we, you know, create a despair in the, in the planet? Maybe we can make that happen so people would have clarity of how desperately we need divine intervention. Maybe we should create a scenario where we would all come to the end of ourselves and realize, I am not enough. All, all this fake infrastructure that I've built to support myself, it's not holding. I, I, I need the embrace of a coming king. His government, his rule, his kingdom, his peace is growing. He is doing it. This is what he does. Now, this is Russell Moore. Most of you will have not heard of him. He is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention in America. 
This brother has been a deep encouragement to me personally. I, I, I admire him a great deal because he is the public-facing voice of the largest evangelical denomination in America. And he has endured extraordinary pressure to align himself somehow with one or another political parties, and he's resisted it. And, and many, many churches have been outraged by this. You've got to make a stand. Well, I'm going to stop sending my money to missions if, if you don't fire Russell Moore. This, this is a deeply godly brother. He recently wrote this. In a time when we seem to learn of a new tragedy each day, the unbearable likeness of Advent seems absurd to the watching world. But even the best of times, we all know that we live in a groaning universe, a world of divorce courts and cancer cells. Just as we sing with joy about the coming of the promised one, we all also to sing with groaning that he is not back yet. And sometimes these groanings are too deep for lyrics. Brittany Hope read this in a blog, and that's what motivated her to write the song that our worship team sang for us in our offertory. Out of the depths of silent night, Emmanuel, come hear our cry. Our grief is strong, our burden great. The night is long, and our hope is faint. But glory, glory, glory in the darkest place. Glory, glory, glory. Let your mercy reign. Maybe this morning... You've read the newspapers, and you don't feel that glory. Maybe you've been on WhatsApp, and you don't read about it. Happy songs right now just feel so awkward, absurd. Would you dare sing anyway, out of the depths of your silent night. Would you be willing to whisper, Emmanuel, come hear my cry. God who is in my neighborhood, move closer because my grief is strong, my, my burdens are great and this night is long and my hope is faint. Emmanuel, be glorious in this silent night. There is some good news. I've talked about the moon before. I'm curious how much work it takes the moon to be that bright. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what strategies the moon has developed to stay spinning and circling the earth and 
being so glorious. It's a ball of rock and dust with no brain or capacity to plan for a future. How much work must it do? Nothing. I'm guessing it's not angry at the sun, not jealous that it doesn't have its own light. It just hangs in there in the darkness of space and reflects the glory of the sun. It's not work. It's just abiding. And so this, the third Sunday of Advent, the Lord invites us. Just hang in there. Just abide. Because there's, there's good news, and I may have lost it in my slides, but, but the Word of God says the final stanza, the zeal of the Lord will do this. You might have to look at your own Bibles. I've lost the slide. The zeal of the Lord. Let me stop distracting you with that happy face. And, and, and the fascinating thing about that word zeal is it's only interpreted by most of our English translators one time in the Hebrew Old Testament as zeal. The rest of the time is jealousy. The, the jealousy that this God has. Like, like the jealousy of a husband for his wife or the wife for her husband. It's that word. The jealousy of the Lord for his own glory will accomplish this. He will do it. Stop your fretting and your anxiety and just abide. And this is the reason for that one. I, I get that... Um, we sometimes feel pressure from our young elders. You know, our, our older elders are more relaxed, but our younger elders are very proactive. And they're like always challenging us. We, 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 we need to encourage our people to do this. And, and what we want to encourage you to do is, is find someone, someone in your world who needs to know the light of this glorious king and, and just, you know, shine and and you might be thinking, well, but, but I, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I've never had Bible school training. I'm, this is not my sweet spot. It makes me, like, really uncomfortable. I'm just an ordinary believer in a dark night myself. I, I don't know how to shine the sun. You know, the average nightlight is just three watts. And, and I guarantee you, no child of mine ever was hoping for the sun to be on when they needed to get up in the night and go to the toilet. But just three watts can help that child get up from where they are and find relief. Three watts. Not a gazillion megaphotons. Just three watts of light. Is, is there anyone in your world who would benefit from Three watts, not you generating, but Christ in you, this coming King, growing His kingdom of righteousness in you. Three watts. That is our challenge. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. I don't 
in any way mean to diminish the difficulty of this year. This year has been the greatest global challenge any of us will likely face in our lifetimes. Indeed, the year is dark. But God calls us to sing an inconvenient song in the middle of this night. The King is coming. He is coming. He is a wonderful counselor. The Almighty God. The Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And He has broken down the walls of hostility that exist in this world so that we might find light shining on us. If you're here this morning or perhaps watching online and you've never in your life said, Oh God, I need out of this darkness. Shine your light on me. Have mercy in this direction. Then in this moment, without this pastor knowing it, the mustard seed of his kingdom can begin to germinate in your life. If you would say to him, I turn from this darkness and I turn to you. You are a mighty God. You are at work even when I cannot see you or feel you. God, shine on this weary heart. Let your light reflect in me just a few watts. Just that someone might look at me and say, something is different is that hope I feel, is that peace I sense. Or, or maybe you are a long-time believer. Maybe you've been a member of GBC longer than forever, which for me is nine years. Maybe it's been 19 or 49. A few of you, 62 And all this time you've served well, you've worked hard. We now have opportunity, gospel opportunity because of your faithfulness, but now you're tired and weary. You look around and everywhere you see trouble. Would you be willing today to say, oh God, I stop my struggle for you and rest today in you. Trusting you for my care, for the care of your church, imperfect as we are, I trust you. Father God, we thank you that you are 
the God who dwells with the men and women who have been pulverized by our culture, by the stress of life and work and family and pandemic. You're the God who moves into our neighborhood, who fills us with peace and joy and life and hope. Would you, O oh God, use us in some small way just to glow a little bit, just to reflect the light of life that you have given. Do this, God. Let your zeal accomplish this for the sake of your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.